welcome to How I Got Hired. This is a show about ordinary people like you and me and how they created extraordinary success in their career. So every single Monday, what we do is we uncover how they got hired in those career-defining roles, whether it's by companies, whether it's by their very first paid clients, and we are all about fully practical strategies and tactics. No time for fluff, my friends. So if that is what you're about, you are in the right place. Welcome. My name is Sonal Bell, Top 25 Career Coach, and here I am every single week to help you to supercharge your believability, networkability, marketability, and hireability so you have a career and life that you are proud of. Now, go in and listen with an open heart and an open mind. And believe, really believe, if they could do it, you can do it too. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back. My guest today is Ben Lamkin. Who's Ben Lamkin, I hear you ask? Well, you may not have heard of Ben, but I can guarantee you, you've definitely heard of his boss, Sir Elton John. What? Yes. So Ben is Managing Director of Rocket Sports. Rocket Sports is a sports marketing business specializing in talent management, brand partnerships, consulting, lots of good stuff, co-founded by Sir Elton John. So although that is a pretty cool thing in and of itself, it's not the only reason I've invited Ben to the show. No, sorry. Ben has had a non-traditional career path and stopped his studies right after high school, or as we would say in the UK, right after secondary. So I am grateful that we are talking about this in this day and age with the internet, with YouTube, with podcasts, because I think we need to have this conversation and showcase that there are multiple ways to be successful. Ben, this is such an honor. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure, Ben. So we're gonna get right into it and I want to talk about Ben and school and how that period was and how that has impacted you as an adult today. Yeah, well, my, my, yeah, my edu- ugh, education was intensely difficult. Um, mm-hmm. My time at school was not mm-hmm. enjoyable, mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, can, I can honestly remember the first day I went to big school Mm. um my first day at secondary school I had a brand new uniform and my new rucksack um but I also remember going home that day immediately knowing that I couldn't cope with five years Mm. of going to that school Mm. um you know from day one I was a bit of an outcast I struggled to make friends and I kind of became a bit of a target for Mm -hmm. bullies and, and still to this day, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> um, and uh, I was talking to my partner, Sarah, last night, and she, she said, Ben, are you dramatising this experience? And honestly, I think looking back, mm. anything, I'm, I'm downplaying it. <laughs> mm. Oh, my uh, gosh. I want to just pause you here for a sec, Ben. When you say outcast and struggle to make friends, was that something that started suddenly in secondary or like in primary school or what um, in the US they would call you know junior or middle school was it different and then the big jump to to high school is this what changed it yeah I I grew up in rural Yorkshire mm-hmm. uh, which is beautiful part of the world but I grew mm-hmm. up in a small village and 
went to big school in the big town mm -hmm. um, and I got on the bus and I arrived there and just from day one I knew I didn't fit in um, and I lasted a year at that okay. school. And when you say you didn't fit in Ben was that something like that was brought on by your perceptions or was it specifically like you said teachers or students picking on you? Yeah it was more it was definitely the students picking mm -hmm. on me um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the teachers had a lot on their plate. They didn't know how to deal with a lot of the, the naughty kids. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah as, as a result, I think doing a year was pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're shocked you lasted that long. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, yeah, my, my parents, I grew up in a working class family mm -hmm. and, you know, my parents made this massive decision to move to a new postcode, to a new mm. catchment area, which meant that I could go to a different school. Mm. So, you know, that must have been a really difficult decision for my parents because, you know, the financial impact of that was, was huge. Um, so I'm never, ever going to forget that commitment that my parents made to move house and, and move us to a new area so I could go to a different school. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the, the second state school I went to, um, although it was a, a slight improvement, I kind of had the same struggles. Um, mm. This school was even more rural. It was right in the Yorkshire Dales. It was about 20 minutes from the nearest um, major town. Mm. And all the kids there knew they were going to be farmers um, or mm. work in like, the local economy. Um, and I had a very different outlook from the other kids even uh, back even back then even back then that and I, I don't know why because, um, because my, my parents are working class they worked in the local economy as, as well but there was just something a little bit different and I was in this environment where people were just kind of going to school for the sake of it they knew what they knew what they were going to do yeah um and yeah, ultimately, despite the best efforts of my parents and the school teachers, you know, I, I found myself struggling quite badly with my mental health. And, mm. you know, towards my time at school, I pretty much stopped going. I'd mm. lost mm. any motivation. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. the most important thing is I did turn up for my exams. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, how was the academic side of things, Ben? Not well, not great. Not great. I um, I would usually be the kid that sat at the back of the class, um, wasn't really engaged with the teachers. And I feel sorry for the teachers because there was just, you know, I, I couldn't control how I was feeling. I couldn't control my anxiety or my depression. And so I just kind of sat there and I can remember I used to stand by this radiator during every lunch break. Oh. Like religiously, I'd stand by this radiator and, and out of the way of people. And it was just a really yeah. nice experience. Yeah. But I did manage to turn up to my exams. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. Yeah. And, and you cleared those exams. I want to um, thank you for sharing, Ben. I'm sure it's not easy because you're reliving a time of your life that maybe, you know, you prefer to forget, right? And I love what you said about being, now any, any of my listeners right now, if you're, if you're like, you know, brought up, in a small town or your parents were brought up in a small town, the danger, there's a lot of beauty, right? I think there's a lot of romance of living in the countryside and everyone knows everyone. 
that's there, but everything has to have some equilibrium. And I think that the downside of that is everyone is like everyone else and there's a group think type of uh, atmosphere. Uh, and if you don't correspond to that type of thinking and you know what you don't want, in this case, in your case, local economy, farming, nah, 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 not for me. Uh, it just sort of automatically kind of cast you to the side and um, the bullying, et cetera, I'm sure didn't help. And, and little Ben, Standing by the radiator during lunch breaks, everyone else is playing, you know, football, kicking around, having a good time. My heart goes out to that little kid right now and and never, ever underestimate. I want to say this to the listener, particularly never underestimate the kind of you can say trauma because people think trauma comes from big things like a huge thing has happened in your life, like a war or fleeing your country or not necessary. Right. There can be a mini version of that lingering for a long time. And I heard you say even to this day, when uh, when you were talking about bullying, uh, what did you mean by that, Ben? Yeah, I think, you know, going back to your point there, as, as an adult, I look back and think, um, I was so lucky to grow up in, in such a beautiful mm. area of the world. But as a kid, I, that was all I knew. You know, I'd never really been to a big city. I'd never really known that there was much out there. I'd obviously seen bits on on the, the, the TV and, uh, you know, but I'd kind of grew up in this ecosystem, in this environment, and I knew what I didn't want to do, going to farming and agriculture and things. Sorry, but, I'm having a really hard time picturing you as a farmer right now. I'm <laughs> trying my best. It's like, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know what I did want to do. Yes, um, yes. And I guess that was, that was the, the big unknown. And, you know, in, I am in no way religious at mm. all. Mm. Um, but that day that I picked up my exam results mm. and I saw that in, in the UK, we have a grading system between A star and F. Mm. C is widely regarded as a pass. It's not a very mm. good pass, but it's, it's a pass. Mm. And I'd got seven Cs and three Bs. And I can remember leaving the school, leaving the school thinking, wow, some, someone's looking down on me, you know, yeah, someone's yeah. got my best interest there because, and at that point I thought I'm going to go and enroll to do my A-levels and, and, and make something different happen. Because if I didn't do that, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was living in a small little village and I, I had no kind of prospect other than, you know, working at the pub I worked in. So I went and I enrolled to do my A-levels and they looked at my grades and they said, look, rather than taking four, we recommend you take three. Um, and I said, yep, fair enough, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that that's the kind of the happy ending to the story is that the school that I did my A-levels at um, was totally different. I found myself making friends. A lot of people there had ambition. They, you know, had drive and motivation. And they, they were like, they were like you. They were interested in learning. And for mm. the first time ever, I felt like I belonged. And mm. I've, I'm really proud that I've never, since then, I've, I've never had to struggle with my mental health again. Mm. So mm. beautiful. That's a happy ending. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. I love this so much. Um, uh, I, I'm, I, I think there's a huge lesson here because um, 
I'm sure you see this, Ben. It's all over social media. It's all over the internet. It's also in newspapers, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, right? We want to see more people, different people, all of that. Yes, there is another one. There's another letter, D-E-I-B, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm. That, when it's missing, the rest doesn't count enough, right? And you're like, I am so like, not only included, I belong here. I'm one of you guys. We fit in together. We just it works, which was so lacking um, in 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 the in the school that you were in before. So love this, love a happy ending. Uh, but but uh, this even more, and you bloomed and you blossomed, and then yeah, life's been totally different since then. So I know a lot has happened between school and rocket sports. So you need to bring us up to date. I want to know. Ben, how did you get this job? How did, you know, Rocket Sports find you? Did Sir Elton interview you himself? Like, what's he like up close and personal? I'm very greedy. I want to know everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, obviously there are a few steps between yes. different uh, you know, scraping a few A-levels uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, becoming managing director of Elton John's sports marketing agency. Um <laughs> about and- about 10. 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, several, yeah, about, yeah, decade and a half as well. Um, so, yeah, after doing my A-levels, I'd kind of, my parents had said, oh, you should go to university. And I was thinking, I'm not, I knew I wasn't good at learning and at school and in classrooms. So I decided to first take a, a year off you know, after education and, you know, a lot of my friends went traveling and things mm. like that. Um, and I thought I'd get a job. Um, mm. And now I'm very lucky that one of my dad's cousins is a successful motorcycle trials rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's called Dougie Lampkin. Uh, he's mm-hmm. got 12 world titles. He's a wonderful person. And this was kind of 2008 and he was approaching the end of his time on the world championship circuit. And he asked me if I wanted to do some travel and help him at different events. And, you know, I saw this as a fantastic opportunity because, you know, so few people get to see what it's like to be an elite sports person, mm. um, especially if you're not an elite sports person. Um, so I kind of... And, and get paid for it? Or was it like more like a... An no, uh, because he, he was my cousin um, and I was basically helping yeah. out. It was yeah. a little bit, it was that cross between a holiday and, um, you know, getting to have this wonderful life experience. Yeah. But, and between them also like helping you out, like doing exactly. your favor because and the timing, the timing was perfect. Yeah. And it, it's family as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 The, the first event we went to with Dougie was the Goodwood Festival of Speed, um, which is a massive, big motorsport event. And at the time I was 18 years old and I was talking with one of the event managers and I was, I was complaining a little bit that the schedule wasn't quite right and it needed improving. And we were having this big, long debate. And after this debate, he invited me back and he said, look, why don't you come and do some work experience and see what it's like in event management um, after the event? So although I was meant to take this year off and go traveling with uh, mm. cousin Dougie, um, <laughs> after the first event, I found myself 
with this work experience. <laughs> so, and that, that was ultimately my first step on the career ladder. I moved out of home at 18 years old, packed up my bags and went down to Goodwood on the South Coast to work for this event company. Um, I turned up about three hours early. <laughs> um, and uh, honestly, my first job, someone had ordered the wrong envelopes and I was licking envelopes <laughs> for hours on end. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was hard work. But this was around the time of the global financial crisis. Mm. And this big motorsport event had relied a lot on the support of automotive manufacturers. Mm. The automotive industry had taken a hammering yes. in yes. the financial crisis. So they were looking at a massive deficit yes. as they looked to do these events. And the CEO at the time, or the event managing director, set up a war room, which was a sales effort to help generate new sponsorship that would keep the events going. Mm. Um, and he was an older guy. He was wonderful. I learned so much from, from William. And he couldn't use a computer. So mm. I, I was this young work experience kid, just help, just helping him use a computer. And what I didn't realize was that was the best hands-on education I could ever ask for. Yes. Um, and I ended up being there for six and a half years and we grew the sponsorship income there from less than 2 million to over 26 million during that time. Wow. That's a, like 12 times. It's oh my phenomenal growth. Gosh. Yeah. And I learned so much about sports marketing and sponsorship and event management, but I worked so hard. Uh, I was pulling in eight, 10, 12 hour shifts, you know, constantly working six days a week. Uh, I had the, you know, the Duke of Richmond who owned this beautiful country estate, which, which is where the events company was based, you know, calling me on a weekend and stuff, but I don't, have an issue with it because I learned so much and I learned from these incredible entrepreneurs and these incredible business people. But after six and a half years of kind of devoting my life to it and bearing in mind, that's from the age of like 18 to 23, 24, 25. Yes. The, uh, I kind of realized that I needed some friends my own age. I quite like a girlfriend and things like that. Um, (laughs) That, that my time living, you know, on the South Coast um, in what was pretty much a, a small town um, was, was probably going to come to an, to an end. And they'd very kindly, when I said I, I want to move on, they said, great, you've, you've done a really fantastic shift here. Um, you know, what, what are you interested in? And I said Formula One. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, I, they got me interviews at Formula One teams. and. I was like, this is incredible that my bosses at the time would do that for me um, as a way of saying thank you for the for the last six and a half years. Um, But I'd also off my own back applied for this role at London Marathon Events. Mm. Okay, I'm going to pause you here because uh, that that is when the story (laughs) takes a different turn. Um, I love it. I love it. So uh, metaphorically speaking or literally speaking. If my listener right now is in a dead-end job where you're like, oh my God, I'm licking envelopes all day long, it gets better. It gets better. 
and at some point the duke of richmond is going to call you on a weekend <laughs> i mean i think it's like there's no substitute for hard work and i love that you got this education not by sitting in a classroom but by getting your hands dirty doing the real work and not only like oh let's help him out let's give him this opportunity but you're helping the company out i mean you changed everything you changed families futures and lives because running on a sponsorship i mean this is a very expensive profession right the event management and a lot of times profits are like so slim and and they come later and in your case turning that around to 12 12 and a half times uh in terms of sponsorship money that is life changing for a company for its financial future and also for the employees so well done well done i mean I, I'm so proud of you. I'm like I'm talking like I'm your mom, and so patient as well, right? Six and a half years, and it takes courage, right, Ben? Because it's like I grew up with these people. I'm grateful, but I can also be ambitious. There's more to life, you know. I love this cute little town. Everyone knows me. I'm doing seven days a week. But there's got to be more to life, right? Oh, there's a job in London Marathon. Oh, London, London, like. <laughs> a really big city what is that like and i love that they said sure let's get you opportunities it's so rare to see an employer do that ben oh my gosh uh but good for you bravo so you saw this opportunity was this on the internet tell me like was it like a job description and your heart started racing and you're like i need to apply because they were also helping you out and getting you interviews so how were you juggling that yeah i i think um it was a job that i'd seen advertised online and um at first i thought oh head of sponsorship you know because you know you talk there about that remarkable growth we had at goodwood um you know we grew the team from three people to 26 people so it was a real team effort but i i somehow had this quite senior role and responsibility within this within my time at goodwood despite my age yes and yes but because of that and because of my lack of external experience i knew i was never going to get that kind of head of role at goodwood because we'd grown it it was too big at that stage they needed professionals that could bring in a different thinking mm. from elsewhere mm. and i saw this job and i i looked at the job description and i thought every single line item there i know i can do but i'm probably mm. not going to get it mm. but i went They, did, they, did you did you say I'm probably not gonna get it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta we gotta watch out. But I'm I'm glad in spite of that voice, you still applied. Yeah, I still applied because I knew that I oh, I looked through the job and I thought I can do that. And um, when I turned up, it was a bit of a shock to the system, to be honest. Um, the building that it was in was not a very pleasant building, and I sat in this waiting room, and it had bars on the window. And I'm thinking, I don't want to work here. But because of that, I went into this interview really confident, thinking, I don't actually want this job. What <laughs> um, bars on the window? Was it like was the did the building used to be a prison or something? No, it was just it was south of the river in London, and I think when the building was. um built it was probably not the nicest area obviously now it's probably one of the trendiest areas of, of london yeah. um, but, <laughs> but not back then <laughs> not back then and and they've since moved to this very beautiful flash office um, but i i like to recount this this tale because i sat in that waiting room this tiny little screen and i thought 
Oh, and I bear in mind, I'd come from this stately home on this beautiful yeah. estate. <laughs> yeah. and, and I love that your shift, your thinking shifted. And you're like, I don't really want this job, which means then you started getting detached from the outcome, yeah. which is which is a good thing. Yeah. Because you didn't care. Right. Yeah. So how did the actual interview go? The interview was great, actually. Um, I felt like I, you know, I just put my point across. I was very pragmatic. I was very realistic with what I'd done. Um, and it also was an opportunity for the, the event director, a chap called Hugh Brasher, to tell me a little bit more about the role as well. And I said, on first impressions, you know, I'm not feeling this building and I'm not feeling, would you, would you mind? Did you say that? Yeah, I did. I said, would, would you mind showing me around? Mm. And I think he was taken aback a bit and went, mm. how many people in an interview say, can you show me the building, please? <laughs> you know? And uh, actually, we, he gave me a tour and he, we went into this horrible little corridor and then it opened up into a nice open plan office. And I thought, oh, thank goodness for that. You know, <laughs> there is a nice office in, in this building. Um, and I met a few of the people. And I think that probably stood me out from the rest as well, um, was the fact that I said, I want, you know, this has got to work for both sides. I want to see what the, what the environment did that Did like. that visit uh, change your mind? Uh, definitely. Definitely. Did um, you start feeling like, oh, shucks, I want this now? Yeah, I think the, I did. The, the second interview that I went back for, I went in thinking, OK, I, I kind of want this. Mm. Uh, and that was with their CEO. And um, yeah, it, it was. I, I went in wanting it and uh, uh, thankfully it, it paid off. And yeah. And yeah. then when they offered me the job, I was in this mindset of going, hang on, I've seen this job, I've applied for it, I've earned it off of my own merit. Um, it's not the Duke of Richmond calling an F1 team or, or William Morrison, my boss at the time, calling an F1 team and, and getting me an interview. I'd got this on my own merit. Yes, you did. For me, that that was the reason that I went into the London Marathon. That is such a huge win. First <laughs> of all, I mean, yeah, kudos to you. You got this on your own, completely, you know, no, no, no favors pulled, nothing like that. Um, it was like you were from the street and they didn't know you from Adam, Tom, Ben, Dick, Harry, nothing. Uh, I love that you asked to to show to see and and what's the worst? Because so many people, so many of us, we we hesitate and we get nervous about asking questions, but it is a two-way street. I've been saying this for years. It has to work for them. It has to work for you. It's a partnership, right? You're not doing any favors by saying yes or no. Um, and that person was probably taken aback because not many people do that. So I'm so glad you pulled the curtains because so many of us judge a book by its cover. And I, I mean, let's admit it, companies do this all the time with candidates. Nah, nah, it's not going to work. What a pity. Could have been a perfect match. In your case, you did something that candidates don't normally do. I want to see around. They were like, oh, I'm hungry now. I I belong here. And you worked with them for a two and a half years, London Marathon. That is a very prestigious um, thing. I mean, considering some of the marathons in the world, it's up there uh, in terms of uh, sponsorships and, and just prestige, right? Yeah, it's it's an iconic global yeah. event. And yeah. Um, believe it or not, I was the first sponsorship employee. Um, uh, they didn't have a proper like organization before that. They, they didn't. And that was a bit 
I, I got I can remember getting there and mm. realizing that I was the sponsorship department. You you became the department considering you were like they're not gonna they're not gonna hire me. Not only did they hire you, like you became it. <laughs> yeah, so we, we had to kind of build it and the sponsorship landscape had changed a lot it changed from you know a bit of branding on tv into much more strategic marketing yes. partnerships yes um, and we had to really adapt our proposition improve our proposition improve our products improve how we report how we deliver data back to the clients and you know so we had to sell into the organization uh, the importance of sponsorship and how the entire organization needed to support that function so I d- we did that and I built a team there and, mm. you know, I devised this plan and, you know, was really looking forward to taking it to the next level. And, you know, we locked in, you know, lots of um, partners on multi-year agreements. So the future was looking brilliant. Very bright, very bright. And I want to pause here just in case the listener doesn't know, we're talking Virgin, Tag here, TNT, Geno, Adidas, Standard Charter, BBC Sport, and also cycling festivals, right? So you did like amazing stuff. And when you said you started a team, so you started as a one-man show uh, with sponsorship and then you made it a proper like department. Was this the first time officially that you had a, a people reporting to you, Ben? Uh, no, towards my time at, at Goodwood. Okay. Uh, Okay. I had because it, I'd taken on this weird position of air traffic controller and, you know, was a bit more senior. So I had people that were you know, two times my age working with me. And um, uh, how, did but, that, how did that go uh, back then when two times your age and, and you know, being boss uh, to them? Um, at, at first, I found it harder than them, I think. Yes. Um, but actually, at Goodwood, it was such a team collaborative effort that, actually we were all in it together yes I think at London Marathon it was slightly more hierarchical um, and I was setting up this team and it was a I had to kind of also create dotted lines into departments to get internal buy-in but um, I actually hired someone that I had worked with at Goodwood uh, to help Ah. on the services side Um, and yeah it was it was um it was really refreshing to build something from the ground up, but it had its own challenges. I can understand that. So what happened after two and a half years, uh, Ben, I'm guessing in a very sort of intense, thriving environment, um, yeah. what what happened? Because uh, 2017, things yeah. changed. I, it, as I say, as you said, you know, London Marathon wasn't just London Marathon. It was yeah. a portfolio of events and we had a great portfolio of partners. But I kind of got this call out of the blue from an old family friend that said, um, Elton John's sports agency is looking for a CEO. Um, I've just invested in it. Would you be interested? Um, You know, you work in the sports industry. Um, And I'm like, Elton John has a what? Yeah. (laughs) You you see him and he's a musician. Yeah, Uh, that's what my reaction was when I met you. (laughs) Um, and if you're in for people that like football, they probably know that Elton uh, has been the owner of Watford Football Club um, mm. at various points, you know, throughout his career. Um, so he has this massive passion for sport. Mm. And I don't know if any of your listeners or you mm. have seen um, the, the film Rocket Man. 
Mm-hmm. But it's a wonderful film and it talks about Elton's career. And in that film, it touches on his relationship with his agent, um, which was quite toxic. And I think when Elton, you know, kind of was at the stage in his life um, where he was quite successful, he set up a company called Rocket Music. And Rocket Music was all about nurturing future talent so that they didn't have the same bad experiences mm. Elton had mm. so Rocket Music was set up and it would give expert access to the industry to labels to you know tour promoters you know good legal support finance support brand building access to studios things like that and it was a really nurturing environment and you know iconic names like Ed Sheeran and Lily Allen and James Blunt at, at points went through Rocket Music and Wow. Rocket Sports was born out of that kind of same philosophy. Yes. Nurturing sporting talent. And Elton for decades has supported a charity called Sports Aid. And his business partner, a chap called Luke Lloyd Davies. Yes. Um, and, and Elton thought, let's do the same for sport. Wow. Because if you think of a sports agent, um, you immediately think of someone that's interested in moving a football player between here and there. Yeah, yeah. And taking a commission on that transfer. Yeah. Um, but actually, Rocket Music was set up to not do that. It was set up to kind of look at everything else that makes up a career. So endorsements, brand building, PR. And um, that's, that was the origin of, of Rocket Sports. Um, it was working with... In, 2017 when I joined they had five cyclists um so, so was, was that like a brand new company um at the it, time it was set up actually in 2012 and uh-huh. it was kind of an offshoot of the rocket entertainment group got it got it got it and and were you the first CEO Ben uh no they'd had different managing directors right between it founding in 2012 and 2017 but I guess in 2017 they found themselves in this position where there wasn't a managing director right. you know, running the business. Um, and they wanted to kind of take it into a slightly new direction. So professional, they, much more professional. Yeah. So they yeah. did, they brought on some more uh, shareholders and made Rocket Sports independent. Got it. And those shareholders, they didn't do it to raise capital. They did it for expertise into the industry. Got it. And it was one of those shareholders that, knew one of my family friends got that, it got it got it what it, it, so your reaction you're like huh so for, so they educated yeah. you they told you what is rocket sports and then yeah. what was your reaction like you're like i'm i'm not sure i want to do this or holy cow elton john when can i start like what happened tell us take us through like i want to know minute details here ben don't leave anything out yeah so i met luke lloyd davies who was yes. the co-founder with Elton and Mm. heard his vision for the business and at that point I was quite excited because you know you had the support of Elton you had the support of the Rocket Entertainment Group Um, but at the same time this it was like a a fledgling business and it felt to me like there was an entrepreneurial spirit that within me that, that was really excited by this. And, you know, I loved working at London Marathon, but, you know, I was ultimately reporting into to people. Um, and inevitably there was, 
areas that we didn't necessarily quite agree with or and for the first time I was like wow I'd be running this show yeah uh, and, and the, the job title was CEO and I remember yeah, you're I was, young at the time Ben I was uh, yeah and, and I, I was what was I god 27 late 20 oh my gosh and um the <laughs> I can remember saying to them look first off you can't call me CEO because at the moment there's one employee um, and it's it's a relatively <laughs> small small company. So, you know, let's let's scrap that. Let, I'll just become, you know, managing director. Um, and uh, you know, we'll I'll devise a strategy and take it from being this small talent management business into a more well-rounded sports marketing agency. Um, and I think because of my background in sponsorship. I was very confident that that was a new division I wanted to set up. And that was probably why I got the job, because I was able to reel off all of these experiences I'd had, you know, through my career related to sponsorship and sponsorship. Yeah, and not to forget, you'd been doing that for 10 years. Yeah. By, yeah. by 27, 28. So to yeah. talk to us about, like, obviously the name, your name came up, but I'm guessing you still, did you still have to interview? Did did Elton meet you? Did you call him Sir Elton? Like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so I know they interviewed a bunch of candidates, um, but my interviews were with one of the other shareholders um, mm. and the co- the other co-founder, Luke Lloyd Davis, who mm. is essentially Elton's right-hand man. Right-hand, yes, yes. He, he's the group COO. So the group CEO is David Furnish, who's Elton's husband. Um, uh, and yeah, Luke is their kind of number two responsible for running. So you the, didn't have to meet Elton at oh, all? I, El, Elton did not interview me. Got uh, it. But Luke did, which is pretty much the same thing. Because <laughs> it was like Elton was there, it's like his right hand. And, yeah. and um, were there any like curveballs during the interview or was it like smooth sailing throughout I think the the interview process was relatively straightforward but the first week in the job was a bit of a shock to the system because (laughs) I was waiting for that (laughs) I'd gone from having you know a good support network in my two previous areas all of a sudden having one employee and solo 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 and there was not much there was no literature on what this company was. There was no strategy. And I had to kind of do all that from the ground up. And, um, you know, I, I can remember speaking to some of the athletes and they they weren't especially happy. And that was concerning because the whole ethos of the business was to nurture and look after talent. So um, that first part of the strategy was to make sure all of our athletes are happy. They have a they have, they have their own specific plan for the next few years. And um uh yeah that that kind of were you who was making those plans? You? Me, yeah. Yeah. So okay, got it. Um but that's yeah I mean completely understand and that speaks a lot to you know, you hear the word agility a lot. It comes down to that, right? And and at some time, there at some points, you don't have the answers, right, Ben? And I'm talking to the listener right now. It's a new job, CEO. I don't know if I, don't call me CEO. It's a one-person show. Yes, at the same time, you're going to be doing everything. So it's a glorified, like, you know, admin person, HR, accounting. You're doing everything. And there are times you don't have the answers. You got to make it up as you go along uh, and, and keep things afloat, which is what you did and and do you remember the first time you met 
Elton, were you like starstruck? Did you like forget your tongue was at the back of your like <laughs> what happened? Yeah, no, the the first time I met Elton, he came into the office and I didn't realize <laughs> I, I didn't realize he was coming in. So you know, it's larger than this larger than life figure. <laughs> yeah. I, I did find it slightly bizarre that a, a few of the uh, HR team were tidying up. I was like, "What's going on? Like, why are they tidying up?" Um, and then, and then I realised uh, uh, as uh, this kind of uh, the boss man is coming. The yep. boss walked in and uh, <laughs> uh, he said hello to everyone, and I was like, "Hi!" And um, maybe a, a couple of months later, we had a group meeting where the heads of each business were going to give an update on the group, and I'd obviously never mm. done that before. At Rocket, and I didn't know whether to put emphasis on financial performance or, you know, and actually it's not about that. It's what projects we're working on. Yes. Telling everyone. And they very kindly let me go last, um, which meant that I, <laughs> I was the headline act. Um, and, and right on the front row was Elton and David. Um, so I'm trying not to look at them as I give yeah. an update on the, on the business. And I'm sure your heart was beating fast as well. Yeah. To be honest, it, mm. I kind of settled into it. And good, was, uh, good. Um, but my first time properly sitting down and talking and having a bit of one-on-one time with with him was um, at the Christmas party. Mm. And the HR director called me up the morning of the Christmas party and said, Elton would like you on his table. And I said, <gasps> great. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, way to have your guard up at the Christmas party. So um, uh, I it was me and David and... His two children were there. So it was a really kind of natural environment. And I did sit down and I had this moment. I was like, oh, what, what do I ask Elton John? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how long have you been? How long have you been singing? That yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what do you do? <laughs> uh, but thankfully, we, we have this common interest in that sport. Yes. So I was able to speak about sport and um, it was a really lovely dinner. He, he, he is lovely. David's lovely as well. His two kids are charming. Yeah. Um, so yeah, o- overall, it, it was it was not awkward in the slightest. It was very nice. Uh, oh, yeah. I love this so much. Wonderful, wonderful. So another uh, great happy ending after a few tumultuous times, but but they, they shape us, right? They help us to become who we are to this to the point that we meet a famous celebrity who happens to be the big boss. You're like, you know, I can do, I can deal with it. Oh, he wants me at the table. I that's fine because. You've got that confidence that comes from hard work. And, and for so many people, they want to skip that and get straight to the, the, the you know, the glamour, the glory. But, but it doesn't work that way. It's not overnight. In your case, it was a decade of slogging, right? And I'm thinking back of Ben at Woodward, you know, not just the licking envelopes bit, but working around the clock while your friends were probably partying at university. It's just, it was it was different and you maybe you grew up a little sooner because of real world education versus university where let's face it university you're still a student it's not not the same as earning your keep right so I love that that confident bend that's emerged from all of this and you know um when when you guys sometimes, you know, when you sign on a new client, right? Uh, a sports up and coming sports person, you know, you. How does that work? Like, you're looking for potential. Are you looking at their track record only? I'm not sure. I'm trying to see. Maybe there are, you know, connecting dots here that could help the rest of us 
mere mortals <laughs> with seeing like how does one get noticed and, and how does that scouting process work? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely not just one thing that we take into consideration. It's it's definitely a mix, and um, the f- the first thing is is definitely personality. Um, we, you know, the, we need to know that the people that we work with, and this isn't just specific to athletes, but it's also our clients across sponsorship and our rights holder consultancy and our content divisions. Um, we need to know that the people that we work with are going to work really well as a team. Um, and I think particularly when talking about athletes, um, we, we need to make sure that the, we're all on the same page and that what we're working towards is achievable. If one person, one side of the party has unrealistic expectations, you're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's it's got to work both ways. And ultimately, we want to make sure we do a really good job for all of our clients and our athletes. And as part of that, we spend so much time as humans at work. Um, we want to make sure that we become friends and have a really friendly relationship with them. But I'd say for athletes specifically, um, you know, I like to see ambition, drive yes. and yes. and their personality. Um, and I think all of our athletes share that, that common common trait. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you talked about that aspect because I think there is a lot, a lot of raw talent out there, but there are things that set them apart from the other and, and things like attitude, mindset, mentality, ambition, uh, good person, good heart. That is important as well. I'm, I'm glad you talked about that because a lot of people think the raw talent, you know, once it's refined, it's enough to get me going for life. And we've seen so many celebrities, rock stars, sports people burn themselves out because that's not enough, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I first met Laura, um, it, it was. Who? I'm sorry. Uh, so Laura Kenny is one of our athletes. Laura Kenny is Britain's most successful female. Olympian. Laura Kenny. Yeah. And yeah. when I first met Laura, um, she, in fact, and with her husband, Jason, who also is a six time Olympic champion. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> talk about a power couple. Yeah. Um, they, they just had their baby boy, Albie. Um, so this was after Rio 2016. I joined in 2017. And I knew that Laura had ambitions and was preparing for Tokyo 2020. But I asked her about her career plans longer term, where she saw her career going. And she just looked at me square in the eyes and like bluntly and went, well, Paris 2024 and, and then L.A. And, you know, I felt silly. You know, because but that's that's the difference between a elite sports person and, and us is, you know, that laser focused yeah. on what yeah. they do. Yeah. Um, so she was going, of course, you know, she'd been in this since a young age, this kind of performance cycle of, um, a, you know, a four year Olympic yeah. cycle yeah. and doesn't know any different. Yeah. And, you know, she was going, yeah, I'm in between Rio, Tokyo, Paris, then L.A. And. It was, you know, it was, it was really uh, refreshing. But I guess that's the, the big difference in, in mindset is that, you know, laser focused. on. Yeah, the- that's what differentiates um, elite uh, sports performance from the rest. And there's a reason there's so few of them. It's not it's not for everyone. Yeah. And it's like I said, I think talent, even if it's distributed equally, it's not enough. The discipline, the work, the vision. 
right? The vision, laser-focused vision. You don't care about the speed bumps because you're like, I know where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, and nothing else is going to distract me because I have so much focus. So um, absolutely love that. And, you know, Ben, um, someone who's listening today thinking, uh, that's cool. You know, Ben's really successful. Um, he didn't need that further education, but he's kind of lucky, you know, but I need it or my kids need it. And, or maybe there's family pressure, you know, when the culture I come from, and I think to some extent, the British culture as well, education is placed on a, on a pedestal. Um, and there is pressure to get that degree, that diploma, then you're someone, mm. right? So someone who's listening today, what advice would you give them um, where they're, they are under that sort of crippling pressure right now? Yeah, I mean, or, or, so, sorry, I forgot to add, and maybe they're not interested at all. Yeah, I thought there's there's plus sides to both um, areas. You know, my my partner Sarah, she had a much more traditional um, pathway, school, good university, and walked into a um, you know a, a good graduate job. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and that graduate job, quite frankly, paid more than as an entry level than I was getting paid in in kind of my mid. 20s yeah uh that said um you know sitting in a classroom and learning doesn't yeah. come naturally to everyone yeah uh, so you know my advice for anyone that's not interested in further education or doesn't feel that they're going to thrive in that environment is well don't worry you know if you're happy to work hard and you're happy to work harder than the person next to you then you will make opportunities for yourself and sometimes you know, taking on the jobs that other people don't want to do shows signs of leadership that, and people will respect that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I think if I look back on my journey, it was a lot of hard work, but it was also putting myself out there a little bit and saying to people, oh, I'll do that. You know, I'll definitely come in at the weekend or I'll do, you know, and I'm not saying that everyone can do that because there's other aspects to life, you know, family and, you know, that, that might get in the way of it. But I think if you're, you know, showing willing and prepared to, you know, go the extra mile where you can and, you know, are very pragmatic and honest with what is achievable, people respect that and um, will work hard. And, you know, I'm interviewing people later on today and yeah. the, the things that I'm looking for is, is not necessarily um you know what grades they've got in, yeah I, I very rarely ever look at the education bit on a cv that's but, because that you you've had you've lived through that experience right and you know very well to some extent it matters and to some extent it doesn't because you are living proof of that and we were just chatting backstage before I pressed record you're going to be meeting Elton in a in a couple of hours so look at the progress Ben look at the evolution and and if you'd been in a classroom it would have been fine it would have been outside the classroom it would have been fine so you're not successful because of education um because it wasn't for you there were other yeah. ways there were other ways to, to get ahead in your career and that is such a beautiful um such a beautiful way to end our conversation there's one last thing I want to ask you, uh, and there is a question that I ask every single guest, I, mm -hmm. close, close to 100 episodes now. And that question is, when you look back the last decade and a half, is there one standout defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you to move closer to your current success? 
Um, oh, is there one? Uh, there's there's probably a, a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the one that really uh, stood out for me was um, applying for the job at the London Marathon mm. of my own back. And yes, yes. I think that was the first time I'd ever written a CV as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and I, yeah, so for me, going into that environment and, you know, just, by accident doing something a little bit different and saying can you show me the office here yeah what I've seen so far is not great (laughs) (laughs) was probably the bit that they went wow okay this guy's perhaps a little bit different from anyone else that we've seen um you know he's got experience in the sector that we're looking for and that was probably you know the defining moment because I think that was what separated me from the competition and allowed me to get that job and that job really changed everything my career started to excel absolutely I love that I love that I think when you like you've got the experience a lot of people have experience when they're applying to jobs but the combination of curiosity and looking super interested that is very rare for headhunters recruiters hiring managers they don't see that so that was such an you know, natural way for you to stand out and the rest is history. That's amazing. And and when someone who's listening to the conversation today, they're like, oh, what an interesting fellow. What, you know, and they want to learn more about you. What is the best way for them to do that? Um, good luck. Um, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'm a, I'm a very private person. So um, there's not, I don't share much on social media. Um, you know, this is the first conversation I've ever had that's uh, kind of a, conversation about me rather than uh, mm. you're not used to it are you because it's always about I, other people yeah. no so, but I think LinkedIn would LinkedIn be a good place to start yeah, definitely to follow I, you LinkedIn is probably where I'm most active um, I'm not massively active but sure. um, there's sure. definitely uh, bits in there uh, I'm always talking about the things that our athletes are doing or um, you know partnerships that our team are, are working on um, but yeah the, the only other point that you, listeners may be interested is um, my my cousin, you know, the motorbike rider, even if you're not into motorbikes, um, his story is great. And you get a a real sense of where I grew up in rural Yorkshire. Yeah. By reading his book, because he grew up in rural Yorkshire as well. And Ah. within, you know, a a quick period of time, he was an international superstar in in his sport. Um, So that's really refreshing. So, yeah. And what's the name? Remind me the name of your cousin. Uh, Dougie Lampkin. Dougie Lampkin and the book is called? Uh, Trials and Error. Trials and Error. Love it. I'm going to make sure I link. uh, Dougie's also on LinkedIn? Definitely not. He's... uh, (laughs) Yeah, he's he's probably got a profile on a Red Bull. Even more private than you are. No, but I'll make sure I I insert the Amazon link of the book in the show notes and of course your LinkedIn profile. Ben, being a private person, being, you know, at the same time, you know, being so willing to share aspects of your life that obviously were a while ago and and I love that you've healed from them because you also talked with empathy. You're like, oh, you know, the teachers had their plates full. You know, I, I felt really bad for them. That takes that takes maturity and I think it takes time to, to to see it from an objective point of view because back then one can feel you know a little bit victim and complain about it and and you know you've grown out of it and you've 
completely bloomed and blossomed on the other side this has been such a pleasure i wish you huge success with rocket sports with your career with your future and beyond thank you so much for your time with us today it's been a pleasure thank you you made it till the end that shows that you care about your career and that means we need to hang out a little bit more so just a couple of things did you know i hang out on linkedin youtube and facebook live every single friday at 2 p.m central european time so you are more than welcome to join me just follow the links in the show notes and if you enjoyed this episode maybe share it with three of your closest friends and if you're feeling even more generous leave me a fabulous review on apple podcast that really really helps the discoverability of the show so thank you so much for listening take care of yourself and until next time bye for now mm-hmm.